Today's scripture is from Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was descended from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Once, when he was serving as priest before God during his section's turn of duty, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord to offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink, even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. Make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I know that this is going to happen? For I am an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute, unable to speak, until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did come out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service was ended, he returned to his home. After those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, This is what the Lord has done for me in this time, when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. The word of God for the people of God. Before I start my sermon, I want to lift up Raina today. I'll embarrass her. I was talking to her during as we were pa uh, passing the peace, and Raina just raised. You, you see her there. She just moved here from Texas and was homeschooled, right? For and now she's starting middle school, and she's in a volleyball. Um, you're on on a volleyball team, right? Going to have her first traveling game. So let's give it up for Raina. Hang in there, Raina. We could all go to the game, Raina, if you want us to really embarrass you. <laughs> well, I want to do something this morning, and you might get mad at me for doing it, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, I know we love the tree, but 
I'm turning it off. Because sometimes I think our need to turn on the lights at Christmas time, at Advent time, to decorate the halls with balls of holly, to sprinkle uh, the tree with tinsel, is really just a cover up job. We have this human need to cover up what is underneath us when it's not something we want to listen to. We have a human tendency in dark times, in troubled times, to fill the room up with noise and food and decorations. I'm not saying it's bad, but we do this sometimes because we don't want to listen to what's in here, in our souls. We know we're hungry down there. We know we need something more, and it's not what we're getting. Uh, so we cover up the hunger pains we have. We cover up the darkness for fear of what's lurking underneath there. Advent, though, is a time not to cover up things. Advent is a time to listen deeply underneath. Because we believe with all our hearts that in that darkness, this is where we're different. This is where we're different, we people of faith. We believe that in that darkness, we'll find truth. And we'll also find hope against all hope. That we won't have to cover up that pain. But there's something down deep in that darkness that will help us rise. And will help this world rise to a better place. The prophet Isaiah says it so well. The people who have walked in darkness, they walked in it. They were in it. Their feet were down in it. The people who have walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has the light shined. Advent is a time to listen to the tree without lights, <laughs> to the darkness. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that Luke starts his Advent story not with Mary and Joseph. We like to start there, but with this old couple who have been living in darkness for years with this old couple who can't have a child. They've never, ever been able to have a child. Their dreams haven't come true. A couple who has honestly given up on any hope. A couple who has honestly quit listening to where God might spring forth because God just wasn't going to come They want the way they thought God was going to come. God had passed them by. And yet, as the story goes, as hope against hope, God shows up. Every time I read this story of Elizabeth and Zechariah, I think of this couple Cindy and I met in a prenatal birthing class in Hudson, South Dakota, a little tiny town. Cindy was 20, believe it or not. I was just 22, and we were expecting a kid. And we went to this prenatal birthing class. Yeah, and by the way, that is a skinny guy, isn't it? <laughs> what happened to me? <laughs> uh, Maybe you've been to one of these prenatal classes, right? Um, the one where they show you a video of the live birth of a child, and I just have to be honest here. 
I had not seen a video like that back then, and uh, the first time I watched it, I actually almost passed out. I had to leave the room. <laughs> yeah, I was that guy, just really kind of squeamish about the whole thing. But it turned out to be a, a great class, um, well, after that video. And it was in, in this class that we met Bob and Kathy. And let me tell you, they did not fit the demographics of this group. You know, most of us were 22, 23, 24. Um, Cindy was 20. Both of them were over 50, and they were in this class. And get this, they weren't even married yet. <laughs> they had both lost their spouses in tra tragic deaths, and in the grief of those losses, had found each other. And Cindy, by the way, had shared this with me when I was telling this story to her. She said, well, not only that, but neither one of them thought they could have kids because they had not had any. And so they got together, and they didn't figure they needed to worry about it. And sure enough, guess what? They got pregnant. <laughs> They're expecting to have a child. Accidentally, they happen, right? Surprises happen to us sometimes. And they were just in shock during this class, but they worked through it, and imagine their surprise and our surprise when they announced to us one day that there was more than one coming. Twins showed up. Twins! Uh, we get an occasional Christmas card from them yet. Uh, there was a picture when they were 68 years old at a junior high track meet, their son, <laughs> A picture of both of them 71 at the twins' graduation. Uh, a picture of them 84 holding their first grandchild. Can you imagine? None of this planned. All these surprises. And not one of them expected. That is kind of the Advent story as well. And then I also think, though, of Arliss and Bob, two members of a church I served in Geta, South Dakota. They had three kids. They were all grown up. And then they too found that they were expecting. Only their journey took a way different turn. For at nine months, Arliss went into labor and they found the umbilical cord wrapped around the baby's neck. And three days later, we were placing that little child into the earth ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Life is kind of like that sometimes too, right? We get both kind of surprises, great enormous joys, and great enormous rips of grief, both kinds. That's what life's about. We live in between those. And the task of Anved is to try to listen to wherever we are on that spectrum and to keep trying to listen, and this is hard, for new life. Don't make the mistake here of thinking that Advent is just about babies um, or two babies, John and Jesus. The baby is a metaphor. It's a symbol. It's a symbol for all of us of new life. 
I think of the new life of you, you guys moving here from Texas, and you're here. I mean, this is a new time, right? It's, it's Advent. Things are happening. Something new is happening. In a sense, I hate to say this, but we're all pregnant. We really are. Advent can happen to us when we're 3 or 9 or 29 or 100. It's about listening under the din and the noise of this world for where God might be birthing something new in your life. It's amazing how stuck we get sometimes. How we can be like Elizabeth and Zechariah before the surprise. How many years can we live without looking for new life? Just going through the motions of addiction, of depression, of doom and despair. Two years turns into ten years. And we don't even look for light most of the time. We just accept the darkness. We just let the voices of darkness spin and spin and spin. We just let the surface noise get louder and louder and louder. In fact, for most of us, at least this is me, we join in. <laughs> I'm good at that one. We join in in the din and the noise and the noisy gong and the clanging cymbal. They become us. And part of the work of Advent is letting God force us to stop, to stop shouting, stop consuming, to stop covering it up for once in our lives. I think Cindy would tell me this, just be quiet. She might use some different words. Isn't that what God is saying to Zechariah? I don't think his loss of speech is a punishment. I think it's a great gift that God's giving Zechariah. He needed to shut his mouth and listen. I know I do. The work of Advent is to sit in the dark and quietly listen to our lives, listening and looking for the light, even in the darkness. And I have to say this, especially in the darkness, to look for hope and somehow nurture that hope in a new life. But it all starts with listening for where God might be, where hope might just be stirring, where a seed of light and life might be lodged in your life and, and nudging that seed and nurturing it into something more. Maybe it's a relationship you need to renew. You may know this, but every Wednesday, I set aside a day to write my sermon. I know some of you think I'm just taking a nap, but it's not true. <laughs> I, I do. I work on this. What do I do? What do I do when I'm writing this sermon? What, 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 is, what am I doing all this time? Well, most of the time, believe it or not, is Advent work. It's listening. And let me tell you, that doesn't come easy for Brooke McBride. <laughs> I have a lot to say usually, but the sermon is not what I have to say. It's about what the Holy One, under all the lights and the din and the bravado of my ego, has to say. And to get there, I've got to take some time to listen. I take the scripture and I read it. Uh, 
five, six, seven times, listening. Where is the, there a glimmer of hope in this passage? Where is God speaking? Where is the river of love flowing? And then I get out some sticky notes, and I write down ideas from that listening. Let me tell you, I'm an ideas guy. I use a lot of sticky notes. And then I listen to myself. What's going on in Brook? What's going on under the hood, under all the noise, under that trip to Korea, under my mom's memory loss? Where is new life bubbling up, bursting? Where is my life dull and needs to be renewed? And then, believe it or not, I listen to you. This sermon isn't about me. It's, it's about us, right? You and me and the holy. I take out sticky notes and I write some of your names down. Some of the pain some of you might be going through. The transitions. Tricia, losing her parents. Car accident. Connie, caring for her mother. Will, struggling with a brother. Ryan and Kirsten, trying to be good parents. Eli, what he's going through in fourth or fifth grade. All of you, going through tough stuff. And then I listen to the world. What's going on out in the world? This sermon isn't my sermon. It's ours, you and me and the holies. Writing the sermon is Advent work. And it might have a nap in it there sometimes too. But one of the events that continues to capture our hearts, I think, this season in the world that's going on today is the situation between Israel and the group we call Hamas. And I don't know you about you, but I was incredibly hopeful in the ceasefire. To see hostages on both sides being released, however painful, it was hopeful. Seeing four days stretch into six and seven, and I have to say this, I wrote this hoping six million or 600 million days. Peace for however long it is, is just beautiful. Can I get an amen? Yeah. And yet, this situation has made me think about my own Hamas or my own Israeli nationalists, my own enemies. My sister and her husband are on the other side of the fence as far as the United Methodist Church goes right now. Her little church in Wessington Springs, they left the United Methodist Church this year. And I just have to admit to you, my heart hurts because of that. I feel rejected by her. To be honest with you, parts of me are just angry at her. And anger is the people who misguided her and her church. And I have to be honest with you, there's a part of me that wants to stay away from my sister, right? To ghost her, so to speak, or at least a little bit. Put more distance between her and I. Believe me, it's easy to do that these days, isn't it? But this peace treaty has made me think about my enemies. Who's some of yours? Who's your Hamas or your Israeli nationalists? Who won't you speak to? Who um, have you colored in darkness? Maybe this Advent season we, we might just... 
not just wait for peace to happen, but start moving towards peace. Start making it happen. I got on my phone, called my sister, made awkward conversation for five minutes, six minutes, seven minutes, and then I hung up, and then we tried it again. Um, is there someone you could make peace with this season? Is there something inside of you that you need to make peace with so light can begin to shine, so light can begin to break forth? A door might open? I've told this story before, but it's one of my favorite Advent stories. When my family was going through a terrible time of grief, my sister Rachel had died in a car accident. My mom and dad stopped talking to each other. Dad wanted to talk about Rachel all the time. Mom didn't want to talk. And they got in some big arguments. And on Christmas Eve, it was mom and dad's anniversary. And my dad always had a surprise. Always such cool surprises. But this year, he forgot. And I put that in quotations. He forgot. And then my mother on Christmas Eve would always make oyster stew. Dad was Irish. Oyster stew, that was the cool thing to have. I hated it, but we liked the little crackers at least. <laughs> um, this time, no oyster stew, man. Potato soup. And that made Dad mad. And so there we all were, all ten of us around the Christmas table. Tension was huge. Mom and Dad were just mad as a hatter at each other and we just didn't know what to do and all of a sudden there's a knock on the door and it's Orlando the town drunk and my dad gets up from the table and actually says a four letter word he never did that who in the blankety blank is at that door and he opened the door and there's Orlando I mean he was furious dad just kind of backed up and Orlando walked in and miracle of miracles, he wasn't drunk. He didn't smell like booze. He was sober. And he came in and he said, I just wanted to come tonight because I know your family's going through tough stuff. And I wanted to offer a prayer. Orlando Peacott? Offering a prayer for us. And so we gathered in a circle. And Orlando, who was Native American, made a beautiful prayer. I didn't understand a word of it. It was, it was in his native tongue. And then he prayed the prayer in English. And as I was watching, I watched mom and dad. There was a gap there at the beginning of that circle. But finally I watched Dad's hand reach out. Mom's hand touching. You don't think peace makes a difference? I don't think I would have got through that year without that moment of peace. And I don't think I would have got through college without that memory. It makes a difference. Go make peace. 
And all the people said,
Teach me to seek your voice. Teach me to be more trusting. Silence is fleeting Teach me to stop and listen. Teach me to center down. Teach me the use of silence. Teach me where peace is found. All the people said, All right, and those who are helping with Holy Communion, if you would come forward.